to be reading from the 16th chapter, the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John. Um, many of you probably feel like, gosh, it's been a long time that we've been preaching through the Gospel of John. Well, let me ask you, do you believe? And is that faith transforming your life each week? This morning I want to read from the 16th chapter, the 16th through the 23rd verse. This is a, a preparation that Jesus is giving to the disciples because their relationship with him is going to change drastically. And it's going to challenge them because they can't see his purpose in coming. Hear now the word of God. Jesus went on to say, in a little while... You will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father? And they kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? Why don't we understand what he's saying? Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean when I say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And then Jesus' disciples said, now we are now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions this makes us believe that you came from god do you now believe jesus replied a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered to each, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, 
Yet I am not alone, for I, my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Our Father, as we turn and begin to study your word, um, I want to confess to you, Father, that I have no ability to explain what we just read. Only the Holy Spirit can lead us in the eternal truths of your word. And so it is our, our covenant prayer this morning, through the covenant of grace, that you would grace us with an understanding of all that you have prepared for us, that we may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that we might put our full trust in him and what he did in the cross for each of us. And that believing and trusting in that work, we would take hold of this new relationship that you have made possible today because the time has come. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen. Did y'all see this past week that there was a lottery, a lottery, the largest lottery in the history of lotteryism, if that's a word. It was a lottery called the Powerball Jackpot of, get this, over $2 billion. I was at a stated clerks meeting in Orlando when the drawing was going on. And by the way, for those of you who haven't followed it, this has gotten to be such a large drawing because it was not won on Sunday, I think Saturday and Wednesday is the drawings for this particular prize. But it had not been won in weeks and it had built up to the place that there was so much money that people were playing the lottery that would never admit it. Were you one of them? I I was talking with my brother this past week. He's a retired dentist who is working for the government in in a uh, facility outside of Savannah. And he's helping those who are poor and indigent in their care of their their, uh, oral hygiene. And I mentioned, I said, you know, that Powerball lottery is really getting big. And he said, yeah, it sure is. I said, I'm almost tempted to play it. He goes, really? I said, yeah. Um, What do you think about that? He said, well, I've played it every week. What are you waiting on? (laughs) And I thought about that for a minute. I thought, what am I waiting on? Well, I'm waiting because, first of all, gambling is something God does not approve of. Did you know that? And so if I'm going to love and please God, the Powerball is going to be one of those things that you and I will be tested by because we think, well, what's $2 going to cost us? Let's just play it, right? Well, you might as well take in the $2 going on the back of a boat on Lake Norman and throw it out in the back. Because the chances of you winning something like that was 1 in 292.2 million. I can't even count that high. And by the way, if you're wondering if you bought the ticket and you're wondering if you won, there was only one ticket that actually had the numbers 10, 33, 41, 47, 56, and the Powerball number was 10, but nobody really cares. Not true. 
That one guy who won in California, his life will be forever changed for the worse. Do you know why? Because there is this idea in the world and in your heart that if you just had what you don't have now, your life will be happy. Did you know that? The disciples in our story this morning were really expecting Jesus to be a king who would restore the kingdom of David and usher in an age of peace. They were looking for someone who was a Messiah figure who would come and solve their problems, who would come and take care of their needs and change other people. I want to emphasize that. They were looking for a savior who would change other people. And in changing other people, they would somehow be elevated to a place where they would be once again prominent in the scheme of the peoples of the world. That Jerusalem would become a center of commerce once again. That it would become the, the focal point of all the eyes of both east and west. That, that the kingdom of God would be established in such a way that all the nations of the world would bow down to them and worship the one true God. The only problem was their idea of what, uh, what that kingdom would be like and how that would happen would be a, a knight on a horse, a white horse, so to speak, who would come and establish a kingdom and he would put down his enemies and conquer them through the military prowess of his, his skill. But that was not the relationship that Jesus had come to establish for them or for you. This past week, we had an election, and you were led to believe, if you listened long enough, that there was going to be this red wave that would just come and swoop our land and solve our problems. Did it? No. If it had, would it have taken care of the problems? Absolutely not. Why not? Because our problems aren't dealing just with our government our problems are not just dealing with what we have in our pockets or what we don't have in our pockets. Our problem deals with the fact that you and I have a heart that doesn't long for God. In fact, John tells us from the very beginning of his gospel that this world is a world that is filled with evil and the evil is not something external that can be taught out through school or medicated out through drugs. It is a problem that is deep in the human heart and it's called the nature of sin and it permeates everything in our culture because it's from your own heart that it is issued. That this darkness that is in the world is the same darkness that is in you. And so as you and I begin to think about this darkness, what can save us from this darkness? Only a restored relationship with the one who created us. And so when you and I begin to think about this salvation that Christ has come to give, he has come to restore your relationship with God that was broken through the fall. He has come to reestablish for you something that you could not establish for yourself. You can't buy it. You can't be moral enough to earn it. There is nothing you can do to gain it in and of yourself. But all their hopes were pinned upon this one thing, that Jesus would do something. 
He would restore. Restore what? Restore the right relationship with God. And he says, the time is coming. When will it come? Well, it's now here, he says. But here's where the struggle comes in their lives, and maybe in yours. Notice when he says that, that it's going to be a time of sorrow. That why would he say that? Well, let me ask you this. If you knew, or if I told you that I knew the winning lottery number before the lottery was ever drawn, would you believe me? No. But if I told you I had the lottery number and I was going to win the lottery, you would probably go, yeah, right, you bald-headed preacher. <laughs> but if it happened, if on Wednesday morning you woke up and you saw the numbers 10, 33, 41, 47, 56, and the Powerball is number 10, and you knew I quoted those numbers to you a day, a week, a month before it happened? Would your impressions change? Of course they would. You'd be asking me, what's the next number? <laughs> well, this is what Jesus has done so that you may believe in him. Because he's telling the disciples before it happens what is going to happen. Before anything ever transpires that they would have a hint, an inkling, a clue. He is now informing them of what will take place. Why is that so comforting? Because we talk about the truth that we sometimes struggle in our walk with Christ because we doubt God. Can I really trust God's word? I mean, no one else does, do they? Look at what's happened to our country. Our country can't be fixed from a political decision. Our country is dealing with the throngs of immorality and confusion and misunderstanding. Why? Because that knowledge of God has been lost to our generation. And it, it must first be asked, have we lost it in the church? Who is this living God that we worship? Why did you bother to wake up and get dressed and groomed to come here and sit for an hour? What is it that you hope to accomplish? I talked to someone years ago who said, you know, I go to church for one reason. I said, why is that? He said, I just feel better when it's over. <laughs> Wasn't exactly sure how to take that. <laughs> Do you come here just to feel better? Well, then you're missing the whole point of this hour. It is to reconnect with the living God. The God who is at work in the world redeeming and saving and drawing people out of darkness to light. It means transformation. It means a change of how I live. Not because I'm a good person. I'm not. But because God is a good God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when you and I begin to think about what Jesus was doing, he knew in expressing what he was going to tell them that they wouldn't understand. It's called an oxymoron. 
Someone once told me the joke, and please forgive me if you work for the post office, but that's an oxymoron, postal service. There's no service to it. They just give you whatever they got. Someone just got that. The most amazing thing about an oxymoron is it is an inconsistency. It's a figure of speech which apparently contradicts the terms. And when Jesus began to speak about what was going to happen, the disciples said, wait a minute, that doesn't fit our desire for the Messiah. Are you like that? Are things happening in your life now as you follow Christ where you tell him, wait a minute, I thought if I followed you, my kids would grow up and they would all believe in you. I thought if I followed you, Jesus, that that I would never have to worry about paying a bill. I thought if I followed you, Lord, I would marry someone who would meet all my needs and I'd never have any marital problems. Are you listening, Cindy? You see, there is this commonality that is being preached in our culture that God has come into the world to make us happy. It's not true. God has come into the world to transform you so that you may know the joy of his love and forgiveness. And through that joy of what God has done for you, you would be transformed in your heart to begin to learn how to love him. Jesus says, you're going to see me, then you're not going to see me, and then you're going to see me again. (laughs) That's about as clear as mud, isn't it? It's no wonder the disciples said, wait a minute, what is he talking about? What is he up to? He doesn't fit the mold. He doesn't follow the script. He's not doing what he's supposed to. By the way, did you see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play the Rams. Did you see that this past weekend? The star quarterback, what's his name? For, yeah, you see, yeah. He, he, he was being beat, the whole team, the Buccaneers were being beat by the Rams. The game plan was already set. It was only a minute left. The Rams had going to wipe it up. They were going to take care of it all, and you can imagine The Buccaneers come back on the game field and they begin in one minute to do something they haven't done during the entire game. They go down the field and score. And you can see it on the Rams' face when it happens. Everyone on that team was like, how did that happen? Well, that's exactly what the disciples were like. Jesus, what are you talking about? How can you possibly change the game we have been working on for the past three years? You're talking about seeing you, not seeing you, seeing you again. Well, notice in the end of the verse we read, Jesus says, I'm telling you these things now. Why? So that when they happen, you will believe. Isn't that beautiful? We do follow God by faith, but it's not a blind faith. It's not a faith in faith. We follow a God who's delivered you promises. Do you hear me? He has delivered you promises. And in those promises, we stand. And in those promises, we hold on 
to him because we believe he is true. And so when things don't make sense, when things don't add up, when things don't work out the way we think they should, we do not give up on hope because we hope in him. There is our joy. We know the end of the story before it is, a, before it is ever written. What's the end? That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But yet Jesus reminds them, he says, let me tell you, there is going to come a time when you will have sorrow. Who wants to hear that? That doesn't fit any of the television evangelists I've heard lately, have you? It's going to be bad today, but tomorrow it's going to get better. What if it doesn't? Does that shake your faith in God? Does it tremble in your heart? Does it make you question God's promise? Jesus goes on to say, you will weep and you will mourn as disciples. You not only will do that, the world will rejoice. The world will clap. Thank God he's dead. Thank God he's dead. That's what the world will say. You will see him. And then you won't. What hope is there? I mean, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus was here. What hope is there? Some commentators who have looked at this particular passage have argued whether Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection and his reappearance to the disciples or maybe there's an allusion to his second coming. That we will see him, he will come into the world, he will be raised from the dead, he will ascend into heaven, and on that day of judgment he will come. In one of the last verses of the Bible in Revelation 22 it says, Come Lord Jesus. And what would it be like if he came at one o'clock today. Would you be ready? It's the most amazing thing to think about, isn't it? You see, these are promises that God has given. And if, if I could tell you the winning lottery number of the lottery next week and it came to pass, then you'd be looking for me to tell you every lottery number from here on out well, if Jesus is going to tell you what's going to happen to him before he's crucified and betrayed and hung on a cross and raised from the dead, could you possibly believe that he knows what he's talking about concerning the rest of your life? And the answer is yes, of course. Of course I could. You see, that's when the joy happens. That's the time of joy the joy of the Christian life is when we put our faith in Christ and yes, things don't work out the way we hope. They may be as not as clear as we had 
imagine them to be, but we hold on to Christ in such ways that we hold on to that promise he's given so that when he fulfills it, we just go, I can't believe it. A.W. Wood, a member of this church and served as an elder for years, had passed away. Kitty is now with him in heaven. And I'll never forget this, the, the visitation of, of that funeral as we were in the Cabin Cook Funeral Home. And I was talking to Richard Wood's brother, Bill. Bill was sitting there with his hands in his pockets and he was looking at his dad in the coffin. And he just kind of, you could tell something was chewing on his mind. And I said, Bill, you all right? He said, yeah. He said, but Robert, can you imagine Can you really imagine if it's true, everything we've been taught, everything we have learned, everything we have known about what is going to happen, happens and we actually see my dad again? You can see it in his eyes. Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What what are we talking about? It's the assurance that God has spoken the truth. It's the conviction, though we cannot see it, we hold on to it to be true. And it's at that point the disciples look at Jesus and they say, "What what is he saying? We will see him, but we won't see him. What is he talking about? He's letting them know. That what's going to happen will mean sorrow for them, but it will ultimately mean their joy. Joy in what way? Well, first, please notice that he says their questions will be answered. Don't you just hate it when you can't find answers? Don't you just... And the most amazing thing is that God says in Christ, he has given us all the answers we need. That in Christ, God has met every question or purpose you have. Some of you are vacillating on faith in Christ at this very moment because you have assumed that faith is something fixed. It is not. Faith is something that is dynamic. It either grows every day or it wanes. And so those things we do like read the Bible or pray or attend worship, they will not create faith. Why? Because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, Faith is a gift of God, not of our works, lest anyone should boast that somehow I believed in God. No, that's not it. You see, faith is that gift that God gives as we look to him. Uh, Henry Blackaby wrote the book that really talks about this. He talks about the journey of faith. And he says that we come to a point of crisis where either we have to trust God or not. Whether we come to that fork in the road, as Yogi Berra said. Remember, Yogi Berra? What do you do when you come to the fork in the road? You take it. Good advice. Which one? Do I trust God or not? And there is where Jesus illuminates for the disciples their lack of faith because he says, you have heard me speak to you figuratively. There is coming a day when I will no longer have to. Why? Because you will have access to the Father. 
You will have access to a father. You won't ask me for things. You will ask God the Father. Let me tell you, for a man who had a father abandon him at the age of eight, I want you to know those words for me were the pure milk of life, that I have a father who will not abandon me. He is an eternal father who supplies everything I need, and there is no lacking, no question, no deficit in my life that I cannot look to him and ask him to help me with. Amen? You see, this is what Jesus has opened for you. You see, once you were separated from God because of your sins, you could not know the living God. You could not trust the living God. You could not believe in the living God. And because of the cross and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he has transformed you in such ways that you now are part of not only God's family. You trust in him. You look to him. You desire him. What tremendous power that is. Have you ever tried to change someone's heart? God has the ability to do that. And he's done it through Christ. But the last thing this morning that's most impressive is that not only has God answered all of our God answered all of our questions concerning how to live in this life. Not only has God given us the access to our God through Jesus Christ, that is an access. By the way, I, I remember this distinctly. We were studying the book of Hebrews, and Sally Jones, who grew up in a different tradition, was with that group, and she said to me, she said, I don't believe this. And I said, uh-oh, I, I've, I've taught something wrong. And, and we were going through Hebrews, and Hebrews teaches us, it says, don't call anyone your father except God, who is your only father. And Sally stood, I mean, she stood up. And if you know Sally, you know you've got to really listen because she talks really fast. And she said, I have been taught all my life to go and pray to someone when I had access to a father in heaven from the beginning. Did you know you have that? That you now have access to a father in heaven who loves you and waits for you to come to him and Jesus says you're not able to do that because you're a good person you're able to do that because you come in my authority I remember Tiger Woods when he was first playing golf was down in the Charlotte competition years ago he was at the height of his game, and I remember distinctly how I, I, I thought, well, it, wouldn't it be fun to go see that? And Rick Sorensen, who worked for a bank at that time, had some free tickets. He said, would you like to go? I've got some tickets nobody's going to use. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. So Cindy and I went down to watch Tiger Woods play, and, and I want you to know, as I watched that man play golf, I swore two things. One, that I don't think I'd ever see someone play professional golf again because I had seen the best. And secondly, I never picked up a club because there was no way I was going to play golf like Tiger Woods. Well, why do I use that illustration? Well, it's simply this. The most amazing thing is when I had that ability to go and see him, I suddenly realized I had no ability to play the game of golf. And when you and I approach God 
and we think of who God is in his holiness and purity, I have no ability to approach God except now that I am in Christ. Now that I am in Christ, I have access to him. Not because of the good things I have done, but because of his great love for me and for you. Isn't that glorious? Some of you have wondered, I wonder if God's angry at me. The answer is, if he is, he'll tell you. But his anger will never drive you away. It will only draw you closer. Sometimes you have wondered, I wonder if God listens to my prayers. Let me tell you, he hushes the angels of heaven. And he says, hold on. They're getting ready to pray. This is your father. And he does this because of what Christ did for you in the cross. And the most amazing thing is we find out, especially in the scriptures, that this one who did this for us was both God and man. He was two natures, one person, and he is alive and reigns even now. I hold on to that teaching from the, from the Heidelberg Catechism, that first question that is asked, what is my only hope in life and in death? The answer is that I belong in body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has so completely freed me from the dominion of the devil that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit God's purpose for my salvation. Now, does that sound like prosperity gospel to you? No. It talks about a God who is with us now. But we live with the hope of what will come when the time is fulfilled. Some of you are questioning your faith this morning. I, I wish I could help you with that. All I can do is point you to the one who gave you promises. Gave you promises. The question is, will you come to him? Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we, we humbly ask that by your great power and your mercy, by your great power and mercy that you would seize our hearts that Jesus is worthy of my trust he's so worthy of my trust that I can begin to joyfully live differently from the way others do I do not need to satisfy anyone else but you I do not need to please anyone else but you I do not live, need to live for anyone else but you. 
with the full and certain confidence that those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. And for that reason, we ask, O oh God, fulfill in my heart the reason this gospel was written, that I would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And the people of God said together, <laughs>